Chicago-based United Airlines plans to boost its October flying schedule to leisure spots, but even so, it'll be flying just 40% of its schedule from a year earlier. And a former ComEd executive's been charged in the federal investigation of corruption involving the utility and the office of House Speaker Michael Madigan. Crane senior reporter Steve Daniels joins the podcast today with more. For really as long as anyone can remember, Speaker Madigan has been the arbiter of energy legislation in particular, obviously nothing much happens in Springfield without his agreement. I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist. It's Labor Day, Monday, September 7th. When it comes to a professional like your doctor or lawyer, you want someone who knows you well. Wintrust believes you should have the same relationship with your banker, someone you can call directly and know they'll understand your concerns. Thousands of local business owners called their Wintrust banker when they needed Paycheck Protection Program loans. They called, Wintrust answered, and helped more than 11,000 local businesses secure funding. Learn more at Wintrust.com slash Daily Gist. Member FDIC. I'm Stephanie Goldberg, and I cover healthcare at Cranes. I'm John Plutz, and I cover airlines, tech, and weed for Cranes. And you're listening to Cranes Daily Gist with Amy Guth. We're joined now by Crane senior reporter Steve Daniels. Okay, the first former ComEd executive has been charged in the Madigan bribery scandal. Lay this part out for us, if you would. Yeah, the uh, Fidel Marquez was the senior vice president in charge of government affairs in the state of Illinois. Essentially, he was that has the head in-house lobbyist for Commonwealth Edison, a 40-year veteran of the company, um, had risen to high levels and was charged late Friday uh, with uh, essentially funneling money uh, improperly to associates of Speaker Madigan. Um, I think the, the, the important part of that is that, A, he's the first individual uh, to be charged in the, in the ComEd scandal. Uh, to this point, or before that, only the company itself had been charged in a deferred prosecution agreement in which if it, the company continues to abide by, after three years, that charge of bribery will be dropped. Uh, so uh, Marquez was the first individual. I don't think he'll be the last. Um, but I think it bore the hallmarks of somebody who had been cooperating uh, with the with the feds. Uh, and by everything I'd heard, he'd been cooperating for quite some time. And uh, so this is the this is the charge and and the penalty he pays you know we'll see, but I would suspect it won't it won't be too harsh. And then add into that late last week or middle of last week, Illinois Republicans requested a panel to probe all of this. Madigan commented the whole thing, and Madigan commented on that. What is your read on his comments and his defense? I mean, the panel was about potentially removing Mike Madigan from the House of Representatives. There's, there's a process by which someone in his situation, uh, yeah, and it's been you. He's used it, in fact, to to, uh, to have a vote held about removing uh, former uh, uh, representatives, Luis uh, Arroyo being one of them. Now, the speaker, when he agreed to this, he deflected the matter to uh, a different representative. So he's basically saying, I'm staying out of this. It's about me. Greg Harris is, is handling it, but in his defense, he went into 
uh, fairly, I think, the lengthiest defense that he has issued since all of this blew up with the with the ComEd deferred prosecution agreement. Uh, and one of his defenses was, you know, these two energy bills that are at the heart of this scandal, of this assertion of conspiracy and bribery and influence peddling. These were these were laws that had broad support that from Republicans and Democrats that had support from various interest groups, environmentalists, consumer advocates, industry, uh, unions, and were the product of deliberation over a fairly lengthy period of time. All of those things that he said in his defense were true. What he left out was for really as long as anyone can remember, Speaker Madigan has been the arbiter of energy legislation in particular. Obviously, nothing much happens in Springfield without his agreement. But but in energy in particular, he really has taken the lead in that. It's something he actually knows a lot about, uh, unlike most state lawmakers, and that's no uh, slap on them. I mean, it's, it's a very difficult subject matter, and, and they got a lot of other things to think about. But in his case, he, he actually worked many, many moons ago for the Illinois Commerce Commission, which is the regulator of utilities, and knows a lot about it. So he has always been the gateway to whether something happens or whether it does not. And before he became a, a big backer of ComEd, he was actually one of ComEd's problems in Springfield. And there were, there were times in which he absolutely shut the door on things that they wanted. That all changed in 2011 and, and continued up until the present day. And the Fed said there was a reason for that, uh, that, that ComEd, through a very elaborate and costly uh, influence peddling scheme, got him on their side. And it was critical to getting these measures passed. All of that said, what aspects of this story do you feel are being under-discussed or that are being kind of overlooked in the main narrative about all of this? I think most of it, there's very little that's been under-discussed in this. This has been covered very, very well by media across the city. It's been the hottest, really, political subject, I think, of, of 2020, uh, you know, apart from the response to the coronavirus. So uh, I think really the question to be answered, I think we're going to, like I said, I think we're going to see some other former ComEd executives charged. My guess is most, if not all of them, have cooperated. So uh, the penalties that they suffer, I don't expect are going to be all that harsh. Again, we'll see about that. But, you know, it's been very clear for a long period of time that what the federal prosecutors care about, who they care about, the target, is Mike Matt. They don't care about charging ComEd executives. They're doing it because they have evidence and they have to. You know, Exelon, the parent company of ComEd, executives there have 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 completely escaped scrutiny in in all of this. And it's uh, it's hard to imagine that all of this was happening in Commonwealth Edison without some knowledge at the parent company for nine plus years that this was going on. So all of that has suggested that prosecutors have one target that they truly care about, and that's Mike Madigan, and that is. The question, do they, will they get him? Do they have him uh, or not? And, and we'll see. I mean, I think it's going to take some months 
to answer that question, but I, I do think that they don't have what they need to charge him now or we'd see something. So they're still pursuing leads. They're still trying to get people who know something to testify uh, beyond the people that they already have gotten to do that. And that's, that's what remains to be seen. And given all that, what is the next big milestone here to be watching for? Well, who's going to be charged next? I mean, one obvious one is the former CEO of ComEd, Ann Promajori. She was a, a central figure in, uh, in the deferred prosecution agreement that laid out a whole bunch of facts that ComEd stipulated to. You know, if Fidel Marquez has been charged, I think it's fair to wonder whether whether she will as well. And if that happens, that will really be the, you know, the end of that story, a real, real fall from grace for somebody who was an extremely prominent business figure in uh, the city of Chicago for, for the last decade. So that's a, that's a, a per, sort of a personal story. But apart from that, I think, you know, what is going to be the impact on energy legislation that G- Governor J.B. Pritzker wants to pursue to put the state on a course to be 100 percent green power uh, by by the year 2050. No matter wh- how hard you try to keep ComEd and Exelon out of such things, they're the biggest. Uh, Exelon's the biggest power company in the state. ComEd's the biggest utility in the state. It's impossible to do. So trying to thread a needle in which you're accomplishing this goal that uh, many would would applaud which is try to have a, green, a greener uh, power generation industry, but also not looking like you're favoring or helping a company that will be instrumental in reaching that goal no matter what you do uh, will be extraordinarily difficult. Find more about this story and all of Steve's reporting about this and many other topics at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much for being with us today, Steve. Thanks for having me. Coming up, here's a topic I don't think we've ever talked about on Crane's Daily Gist, hot dogs. And like crowds, you might have noticed they were a little scarce for this year's Labor Day celebrations. We'll talk about why that is and lots more right after this. Businesses looking for help in navigating the COVID-19 crisis should check out Small Business Lifeline, a new weekly podcast from Cranes. Every Thursday, the free Small Business Lifeline will offer expert advice and information on accessing needed resources during the crisis. Listen to Small Business Lifeline at chicagobusiness.com slash SBL. This is the Cranes Daily Gist with Amy Guth. United Airlines is adding to its schedule in October, including expanding flights to Hawaii. According to a statement on Friday, the airline will fly 40% of its schedule from a year earlier, and that plan represents a slight increase from September, which involves United flying just 34% of its year earlier roster. And that increase includes the restarting of its eight routes to Hawaii pending the state's approval of pre-arrival coronavirus tests that it's mandated for visitors. International service will remain constrained to one-third of 2019 schedule due to travel restrictions and self-quarantine measures required by many countries. However, as of now, the airline will resume 14 international routes in October, including Cancun, Mexico City, and Puerto Vallarta from five of its hubs. 
Overall, though, Airlines October schedules have become a proxy for how the industry sees pandemic-era demand shaping up during a typically slower travel period. United's rival, American Airlines, will operate 45% of its October schedule compared with a year earlier and will end service to 15 cities. But United's recovery to 40% of its year-earlier level is still a big improvement from the 11% it operated in May as the world locked down to prevent the spread of COVID-19. United's Vice President of Domestic Domestic network planning said in a statement that the airline will continue to be, quote, data-driven and realistic in their approach to rebuilding their network of routes. Just 24 hours after the state announced the finalist for new marijuana retail licenses, two applicants who didn't make the cut filed a lawsuit in federal court. The lawsuit claims the move by the state to go forward with a plan to, quote, award more than a billion dollars in licenses to a group of 21 politically connected insider companies is unconstitutional because there isn't due process to challenge the application scoring before licenses are awarded. And so South Shore Restore and Heartland Greens sued to stop a planned lottery to award 75 new dispensary licenses while they challenge the decision by the Illinois Department of Financial and Professional Regulation before the licenses are awarded. And so for background here, more than 700 individuals or groups submitted applications back in January for 75 licenses. 21 applicants got perfect scores and are eligible for a lottery to determine who gets the licenses. And the list of finalists also quickly generated anger among failed applicants, many of whom started looking up the officers of the winning parties on the Illinois Secretary of State's website. So the lawsuit claims that unlike most graded competitions for cannabis licenses, this one wasn't scored anonymously to control for political influence or bias. The suit says the vast majority of states that conduct competitions to award cannabis licenses do so via a process that requires applicants to redact the names and affiliations of their principals for grading purposes. Continuing by saying this competition, however, was not graded anonymously. And Illinois set up a detailed application process designed to bring social equity applicants into a cannabis industry that is largely white and male owned. But many expressed frustration that applicants who met social equity criteria coming from neighborhoods disproportionately impacted by the so-called war on drugs or who had been arrested or incarcerated for marijuana offenses didn't qualify for the lottery. The two teams claim they should have qualified to be a tied applicant, eligible for the lottery, saying each plaintiff was majority owned by social equity applicants and military veterans, and each plaintiff is qualified to operate a dispensary business, continuing plaintiffs all submitted applications that should have received all of the available points. The plaintiffs want to challenge the scoring done by accounting and consulting firm KPMG that left them out. But they say the rules don't allow for administrative review, so they say their only option is to sue. Find more on this story, including a copy of the lawsuit, at chicagobusiness.com. Chicago-based Boeing's biggest labor union is preparing for a showdown over possible consolidation of 787 Dreamliner production at a non-union plant, saying the plane-maker's study of the issue is, quote, a charade and warning that the company may seek contract concessions. The International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers plans this month to make the case for keeping final assembly of the marquee wide-body jet at Boeing's Everett Washington factory. That, according to the president of IAM District 
District 751 that represents about 32,000 Seattle area workers. And Boeing also builds the Dreamliner in North Charleston, South Carolina, and is considering whether to combine the two operations as it cuts both output and jobs to contend with the collapse in air travel due to the pandemic. Demand for twin-aisle jets like the 787 have been hit particularly hard, forcing the company to decrease the plane's production. And all this about the study is fueling a lot of anxiety in the Seattle area, which already has had deep cuts to Boeing's workforce. Everett, which is the company's biggest campus with about 30,000 workers, faces the end of 747 production in the next two years. So losing the Dreamliner as well would mean that the complex would produce just 60 planes a year. Boeing declined to comment on the union's plans, saying that management is evaluating the most efficient way to build aircraft, saying by email, quote, we are engaging with our stakeholders, including the unions, and continuing, we will take into account a number of factors and keep an eye on future requirements as we think through the long-term health of our production system, and adding, Boeing remains committed to Washington State and South Carolina. The company has invested heavily in South Carolina, a state long hostile to unions since a 2008 machinist strike in Washington. But the factory also experienced issues as Boeing pushed 787 manufacturing to record paces. Most recently, as we talked about way back when on the podcast, the company grounded eight Dreamliners after unearthing production flaws linked to the South Carolina facility the machinists have until the end of the month to make the case for Everett. The union has a staff to create proposals for keeping work that Boeing has targeted to be moved outside the Seattle area. Find more on this story and many others at chicagobusiness.com. So much like crowds, certain staples of Labor Day celebrations might have also been absent, namely hot dogs, as some grocery stores across the country have been struggling to keep the product on shelves due to both soaring demand and continued supply constraints after meatpacking plant shutdowns impacted the industry earlier this year. The CEO of Albertsons, the parent company which runs regional grocery store chains including Jewel Osco, said the constraints started in March and the supply issues haven't fully abated. Hot dogs in particular tend to do well when the economy is not doing so well. And add in that they're also a quick and easy meal option for busy working parents facing the demands of virtual schooling for a little while. And then add into that a surge in demand ahead of one of the nation's biggest cookout holidays. And that brings us up to now. And so perhaps not surprisingly, Since the pandemic first began in the U.S., hot dog sales have been higher than last year every single week except one. That according to Chicago-based data analytics and market research company IRI. On average, sales have been about 17% higher than comparable weeks last year through most of the summer, with a more recent uptick in states like Texas, Louisiana, and Arkansas, where residents stocked up on pre-cooked meats ahead of Hurricane Laura. But to put it all another way, the country's grocers had already sold 83% of the total 2019 volume of hot dogs before this year was even two-thirds of the way over. That, according to the National Hot Dog and Sausage Council, which, yes, is a real thing. And on the supply side, some plants have been focusing on larger meat cuts and fewer processed products amid simply having fewer workers, contributing to the shortage of specific products. Similarly, pepperoni has also been getting more expensive and increasingly difficult to find amid production snags at meat plants and, you guessed it, higher demand for pizza.
And that's Crane's Daily Gist for now. Our continuous news feed lives at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to our guest today, Steve Daniels. Be sure to subscribe to these conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you like to get your audio on demand. And find hashtag Crane's Daily Gist on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And let's continue talking there about these and other business stories. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time.